Christ's mission is our mission. There's a reason why our call to share Christ and his gospel is called the Great Commission. Not just another commission, it is the greatest task you will ever be assigned. Do you know that the tremendous blessing of helping somebody walk from darkness into light is an opportunity that we will never have again after we die? Never. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no need for evangelism. You have one chance to be a part of the work of Christ in saving someone's soul. And you're living in that chance right now. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. My iPad's at 16%, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, no, it's a delight to be here with you guys and have an opportunity to share with you from God's word. We are in the middle of a brief three-week series where we're looking at some different passages from 2 Corinthians to understand what it means for us as Christians to be ambassadors for Christ. And while you're turning there, let me let you know about a couple of things going on at Coastal. So first of all, if you're looking for a date night, we have our couples dinner coming up on Friday, September 9th at 6.30 at the Yorktown campus. Dinner uh, and childcare are provided. It's gonna, the cost is $40 per couple. You can register at gocoastal.org slash events. So come on out for a great time. Tonight, Tonight at 5 p.m. right here at the Gloucester campus. We would love to see all of you back here for our night of prayer service. So we're going to have prayer. We're going to have communion. We're going to sing. We have three people getting baptized tonight at the night of prayer service. It's going to be an awesome time. So I would love to see all of you back here at 5 p.m. for our night of prayer service. Last but not least is our small group season is fast approaching. It's two weeks from now. So it starts Sunday, September 11th. If you are looking for a small group, and I could not encourage you strongly enough to look for a small group, you can go to gocoastal.org slash small groups, or you can grab a grow booklet at one of the welcome desks that has all of our small groups listed. Well, this morning, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to talk about our mission. What is our mission as followers of Jesus? Well, the video just told us, right? It's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is to go out into all the world and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. But what I want to show us this morning is this. If we don't understand what our mission is as followers of Jesus, and we don't understand how we are to accomplish that mission, we're not going to be very effective in that mission. If we don't know what we're doing and where we're headed, we're not going to get very far. You'll be like a person who thinks they're running a marathon, but they're really on a treadmill. And you know, speaking of treadmills, uh, when I was 15 years old, I went on a youth group trip one time and me and a couple of my friends decided to go to the hotel gym one night. And so as you guys know, high school boys are like the pinnacle of all human wisdom. Uh, and so we thought it would be a good idea. I thought it would be a good idea to show off how fast and athletic I was for my friends, which by the way, I was neither fast nor athletic at 15 years old. Uh, and I wanted to show off. So I got on this treadmill and I put it on full speed. And you know that little clip that they put on treadmills that you're supposed to put on as a safety thing? Those are for wimps, right? I didn't need that. Uh, you can see where this is going, can't you? So I'm going this treadmill, I'm going as fast as I can, and I'm going, doing good for a little while. Then I trip. 
and I face plant on this treadmill going full speed, but it gets better because you see whoever designed this hotel gym thought it would be a good idea to position the treadmill to where the back of it was up against a wall. So I am laying face first on a treadmill going full speed, stuck against a wall, so I can't even shoot off the other end of it. And when my friends got done laughing, they turn it off. And I kid you not, I stood up and had like a skid mark on the side of my face. Like the treadmill had become a part of me. And listen, so what is the point of this story? In the same way, as followers of Jesus, if we don't know what our mission is and we don't know where we're going, we're going to end up being like me on that treadmill. We're going to be moving a lot. We're going to be really busy. We're going to end up getting tired and falling on our face. If we don't know what our mission is and how we're going to accomplish it, we're not going to be very effective. So this morning, I want to show you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the aim of our mission, the motives for our mission, the message of our mission. And then we're going to close by talking about what is our discipleship strategy here at Coastal? What is the strategy for our mission? So let me begin by giving you the main point of the sermon. Because we are so loved by Jesus, we should seek to persuade others of the good news of the gospel. We accomplish our mission by connecting, growing, and serving. So with that in mind, guys, let's read from God's word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much this morning for your word. Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient word, Lord. It is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. So Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth. Father, I pray that you would take this word and plant it down deep into our hearts so that it will transform us to be more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that you would motivate us as your church to serve you with every ounce of our being. God, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, you know, Pastor Andrew was here and he did a fantastic job preaching 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to have less broken stuff up front than he did last week. But so if you missed that message, please go and watch it. It was fantastic. But he stopped in chapter 4 and I'm skipping ahead to verse 11 of chapter 5. So for the sake of context, let me very quickly recap the first 10 verses of chapter 5. So in these verses, Paul is comparing our present earthly bodies to the resurrection bodies that we will receive when Jesus returns. So the Bible teaches that one day Jesus is coming again. And when he does, we're going to be raised from the dead and we're going to get new indestructible bodies. So he compares our earthly bodies are like a tent 
Whereas these resurrection bodies are a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he says, while we're in these earthly bodies, we groan. We're longing for eternity, even as we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. But he goes on to say, we are of good courage because while we are in the body and away from the Lord, we walk by faith and not by sight. So he says, while we are in the body, we are away from the Lord. And while we would prefer to go and be with the Lord, because that is far better, because in his presence is fullness of joy. The bottom line is whether we're here or whether we're in heaven, our goal is to please God. Our goal is to please God. And the climax of this section is verse 10, where he says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account for our lives. And it's within this context now that we come to verse 11 that we're going to be studying this morning. And the first thing we learn about this passage is the aim of our mission. The aim of our mission, the goal, the target that we are aiming at, the thing that we are seeking to accomplish. And Paul lays it out in verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We persuade others. That's something of a mission statement for Paul. What do you do? We persuade others. This word persuade could also be translated as convince or urge. It is communicating the gospel with an aim toward persuading someone to receive Christ as their savior. It is passionate. It is urgent. And this is a word. It's interesting to me. Paul here in second Corinthians is saying, we persuade others. But then Luke, his traveling buddy who wrote the book of Acts, when he's describing Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, it's the same word that he often used to describe the way that uh, Paul preached the gospel. Let me give you two examples, Acts 13, 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them or persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Acts 19.8, and he, that's Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Church, this is our calling. This is our mission. This is the target that we are aiming at. We're seeking to persuade others of the gospel. We're seeking to convince, to urge people to receive Christ into their life, to receive the gospel. That is our mission. Another word for that is evangelism. That is why we are here, to share the good news of the gospel. And listen, I want to be clear here. I know the word persuasion can have some certain connotations. You will never be able to twist someone's arm into the kingdom so to speak, right? You're never going to be able to force someone to become a Christian by our own persuasion enough. We can't be persuasive enough to make someone a Christian. The Bible teaches that unless someone is born again, they can't see the kingdom of God. Unless the Holy Spirit regenerates a person's heart, they cannot believe. And yet I believe at the same time, the Holy Spirit is often pleased to work through a persuasive presentation of the gospel through a passionate presentation of the gospel. The same Paul who believed in the sovereignty of God and salvation also wrote with great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for those who had rejected Christ. So I want to be clear. We don't dispassionately or monotonely, if that's a word, uh, proclaim the gospel. Guys, this is good news, but this is important news. 
We want to be passionate in the way we present the gospel. We want to be persuasive in the way that we articulate the gospel with others. So let me ask you this question as we're talking about our mission and we're talking about evangelism and we're talking about the Great Commission. Let me ask you this morning, even as I say those words, who is coming to your mind right now? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Who are the people that the Lord is bringing to your mind that you know don't know Christ? And the Lord is giving you this opportunity to maybe say, how can I be a part of seeking to persuade them about the gospel? Are you looking for opportunities? Are you praying for opportunities to be able to have gospel conversations with the people in your life. Let me encourage you. That is why we are here. We are here to be ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is not there for his own interests. An ambassador is sent to a country to represent the interests of the country that sent him. We are here on this earth as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We are not here merely to advance our own interests, but we are here to represent the kingdom of God in every conversation. Are you thinking about it that way? When you're at work, are you thinking, man, I am here to represent Jesus today. How can I do that through my conversations? So we persuade others. But Paul in this text also gives us the motives for our mission. It gives us the motives for our mission. What is it that, that drives us forward toward that? Because that's hard. That's awkward. It can be difficult to have these evangelism conversations to seek to persuade people of the gospel. What is it that is going to motivate us to do that? He gives us two things. The first is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Now let's look at verse 11 again. I kind of parked on that little phrase, we persuade others, but now we need to back up a little bit. So verse 11, it says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others. Now there's this rule that preachers are taught. Uh, we're not allowed to read the word therefore without doing the therefore thing, okay? So let, you, you, guys, you know this is coming. We got to do it. Let's just get this over with. Um, when you see the word therefore, you need to ask the question, what's it? Therefore. You guys are great. You know this stuff. You ask, what's it there for? When you see the word therefore in the Bible, it means what you are about to read is based on what came before. So you better understand the connection. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. So what is the therefore referring to? It's referring to verse 10. Let's back up. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. Let's read it together. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So in other words, it is therefore, or because you will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That kind of changes it a little bit, doesn't it? Because you will one day stand before the judgment seat of the King of Kings and give an account for your life, we persuade others. That's what the fear of the Lord is referring to. This idea that when we understand that one day we will stand before Christ and give an account for our lives, that's sobering. That refocuses our priorities when we understand that. And listen, just to be clear, as a Christian, you're not going to that judgment to determine whether or not you will be saved. If you're in Christ, you're saved now. You've been declared guilty by the court of heaven now. You are saved now, but it is at that time that our works and how we lived our lives will demonstrate, will give evidence to the reality that we are in Christ and we will be rewarded on that basis, scripture teaches. 
But understanding the idea of a future judgment should move us toward evangelism. It should move us toward a healthy fear of the Lord. And now why is the fear of the Lord a motivation for evangelism? Well, let me tell you why. What is the biggest reason why we don't evangelize? What is the biggest reason why we don't share the gospel? It's what the Bible calls the fear of man. It's what the Bible calls the fear of people that we're afraid of what other people will think. I guarantee you, because it's true in my life, it's probably true in yours too. The most opportunities that I've had for evangelism that I've let slip was because there's this voice in the back of my head saying, yeah, but Nate, you're going to look like an idiot. Nate, everyone's going to laugh at you. Everyone's going to judge you. Everyone's going to make fun of you. So just keep quiet. Don't say anything. See, it is the fear of man that more often than anything else keeps us from sharing the gospel. What is the only way to overcome the fear of man? Let me tell you, it's the fear of God. You need to replace the fear of man with something a lot bigger. One of my favorite books is by a guy named Ed Welch. The title of the book is worth the price of the book. The title of the book is When People Are Big and God is Small. When people are big in your eyes, when people are big in your thinking, God is shrunken. The only solution to overcoming the fear of man by being controlled by the opinions and the thoughts of other people is by seeing God for how he really is, which is big, which is glorious, which is majestic. If you are controlled by the thoughts and opinions of other people, and that fear is holding you back from doing what God has called you to do, you need a bigger God. You need to understand who God is. Growing in the fear of the Lord frees us from the fear of man so that we can share the gospel without fear. But listen, it's not just about fear. That is not our only motive for evangelism. We have to balance it out with love. It is the love of Christ that compels us in our mission. It is the love of Christ. So we're going to look now at verse 14. And now I'm, I'm jumping right from the first half of verse 11 to verse 14. Uh, for the sake of time this morning, I'm not going to talk much about verses 11b through 13, but just to give you a super quick recap. One of the issues going on in 2 Corinthians is Paul is defending his ministry against false teachers in Corinth who are seeking to discredit him. And so what he's talking about in verse 11 through 13 is sort of the reason why he is giving them all of this information why he is talking about authentic gospel ministry in contrast to the false teachers. He says in verse 12, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those. So that's kind of what's going on here. And in that context, we come to verse 14, which says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. Some of your translations probably say compels us. The love of Christ controls or compels us. I don't think this is the love that that we have for Jesus necessarily. I think it's the love that Jesus has for us. When he says the love of Christ compels or controls us. This word controls, it, it refers to an active positive force. It refers to being pushed forward by something. What Paul is saying is it is the love of Jesus that I understand this love that he has for me. That is what gets me out of bed in the morning. That is the driving force in my life. That is what pushes me forward. What motivates me to keep going when things are hard is knowing the love of Christ in my life. It is what drives me forward. Any of y'all ever been whitewater rafting? 
a couple of you guys. All right. I've been a couple of times and you know, I, I, I first of all, I just love self-deprecating humor. So you get a second Nate hurts himself story in one sermon. Um, it also just shows you how clumsy I am, but uh, I promise it has a point. So I went whitewater rafting about two years ago in West Virginia for a bachelor party with one of my buddies. And uh, so we're in the raft. And for those of you who have been whitewater rafting, what do they teach you to do when you fall out in the middle of a rapid? Anybody? Yeah, either float on your back and let the water take you or swim. But whatever you do, don't try to stand up is what they tell you because then you're going to get stuck. Either try to swim or float and let the water take you, but don't try to stand up. So what did I do when I fell out in the middle of a rapid? I tried to stand up. It's natural. I'm underwater. I'm just trying to get my head above the water and I get stuck and water is shooting in my face and up my nose and it's terrible and in my eyes and everyone's screaming, swim, swim. And I'm like, and it's not working until eventually I start swimming and I am compelled by the water. Listen, the raft and eventually me are, were compelled by the water moving you forward. I'm almost over it, uh, slightly traumatized, almost over it. But it is, that is what drives us forward. And I want you to get that mental picture in your mind. Just as the raft is driven forward by the water, so in our mission, it is the love of Christ that compels us. It is knowing how loved we are by Jesus that moves us forward, that pushes us forward like rushing water moves a boat. That is, the, that is what drives us in our mission. That is the engine of our mission is knowing how loved we are by Jesus. Paul was obsessed with the church knowing how loved they were. Listen to what he said. This is what he prayed for the church in Ephesians chapter three. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. He is praying that they would be strong enough just to know how much Jesus loves them. That's amazing. And listen, we know that on an intellectual level, but do we really grasp it in our hearts? Because my two-year-old knows how to sing, Jesus loves me. My two-year-old knows how to sing, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. But if I'm being honest, while I know that up here in my heart, there are many days where I'm more likely to sing, I guess Jesus tolerates me. When I look at my own sin and I look at my own brokenness, but listen, there is nothing that will have a bigger impact in your life and in your ministry and in your mission for Christ than to know at the core of your being that you are deeply and profoundly loved with a love that surpasses knowledge. How much did Jesus love you? That's what we're going to talk about next. We're going to see in this text clear evidence of how much Jesus loved you. And that's the message of our mission. We're going to get into the message of our mission. Church, how much did Jesus love you? We see the love of Christ in the substitutionary death of Christ. In the substitutionary death of Christ. Verses 14 and 15 are an amazing summary of the gospel. Let's read them together. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So let's look at this together. One has died for all. Let's emphasize that word for for a minute. 
The death of Jesus was substitutionary. He died not for his own sin because he did not have any. Jesus was perfect, sinless, the son of God in human form. Yet Jesus went to the cross. He went not for his own sins, but for ours. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And you and I, because of our sin, have incurred a debt before God that we could never repay. And because God is just and God is holy, sin must be punished. And the only punishment appropriate for sinning against an eternal, infinite God is eternal, infinite punishment. And yet on the cross, the eternal, infinite son of God bore the wrath of God in my place, in your place. He died for us. He died as our substitute. That is the gospel that Jesus Christ stood in our place on the cross, dying for us, that we might have eternal life with him. Guys, that is the gospel, the substitutionary death of Christ. But this text continues to be fascinating because it says in verse 14, one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now, do we need to do the therefore thing again? Do you guys get it? All right. He died, one has died for all. So on that basis, on the basis of the death of Christ for all, all have died. What? What What does it mean that all have died? Now he's not talking about physical death. He can't be because it's based on the death of Christ, right? One has died for all on the basis of that death of Christ. Therefore all have died. He's not talking about our physical death in this life. He's talking about what the Bible calls death to sin, death to our old self, death to who we were before Christ. Paul explains this in more detail in Romans chapter six. Look with me. He says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11 is the key. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So... When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he died for all, therefore all died, that's the kind of death I think Paul has in mind. That if you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, then you have died with him and you have been raised with him. We're going to baptize three people right here tonight. And you know what we're going to say as we dunk them and bring them back up? We're going to say dead to sin raised to walk in newness of life because baptism symbolizes that reality that we are now united to Christ, that we have died with him. And so to put all the pieces together, when Paul says one has died for all, therefore all have died. I like the way that John MacArthur put it. He said, he died for all who died in him. He died for all those who died in him, all those who have trusted in Christ, who have received the gospel and therefore have died to their old life and have been raised. He elaborates on that in verse 15. He died for all that those who live, those who are alive to God in Christ Jesus might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Church, this is the message of our mission. This is the gospel 
The gospel is the good news that because Jesus died and was raised again on our behalf, so we are calling people to come to Christ and die. Come to Christ and die that you might live. Die to your sin. Die to your old life and come to Christ and walk in newness of life. Becoming a Christian is not just making a good decision. It is a death and resurrection. Who you were before Christ is gone, nailed to the cross with Jesus and put in the tomb. And who you are now is a new creation. That's amazing. And that's good news. And listen, church, when we grasp how good that news is, how good the news of the gospel is, that would overflow out of us. We want to persuade others to hear this news. We want to shout this good news from the rooftops. That's the message of our mission. So church, we've looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15. We saw the aim of our mission. We persuade others. We saw the motives of our mission, the fear of the Lord and the love of Christ. We saw the message of our mission that Christ has died for us and was raised for us that we might have new life in him. So last question that I want to address this morning. At Coastal, what is the strategy for our mission? So if you're a part of this local church here at Coastal, that all sounds great, but how do we do it? What is the strategy for our mission here at Coastal? So we're going to park the car in 2 Corinthians 5 and talk a little bit for the rest of the sermon about how we seek to do this. About every six months from the pulpit, we want to share our discipleship strategy here at Coastal. For some of you longtime Coastal folks, this will be like the 35th time you've heard this. Um, and that's okay. We need to regularly be reminded of what we do and why we do it. For some of you, this is brand new. And I hope that this going through this process will show you a little bit about who we are at Coastal. And as you're considering becoming a part of this church, you can hear this and reflect on it. So let's talk about the strategy of our mission at Coastal. First question, what is our mission at Coastal? What is our mission statement? Anybody? Bingo, develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. Another way to put that is discipleship. We wanna make disciples, authentic followers of Jesus Christ. We notice it's a process. It's develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. But we also have a strategy here at Coastal. We have a strategy to accomplish that mission. We summarize our strategy in three words so it's easy to remember. Anybody? Connect, grow, and serve. I want to spend the next 15 minutes unpacking connect, grow, serve, and then we'll close in prayer. This is our strategy. This is how we worship God at Coastal and how we, um, how we grow in our faith as authentic followers. So first of all, connect. What does it mean to connect? What we mean by that is we connect to God through corporate worship. We gather faithfully every Sunday morning to worship the Lord together as the church. Why do we call it corporate worship? Well, it's in distinction from private worship. Sure, you can go worship God on your boat or in your house or while driving in your car, and that's great, and we can and should do that. But there's something unique about corporate worship, about when the church gathers together with one voice to worship God. And we believe that faithfully worshiping God with the church is an essential element of our discipleship strategy. Let me give you a few reasons why corporate worship matters. First of all, corporate worship is biblical. We think this is a biblical pattern. There's a lot of places in scripture we could go, but let me just mention one, Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another 
And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I love this text. And let me tell you my favorite part of this text. Uh, I think Hebrews was originally a sermon. And so you can almost hear it when he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Like, I think the some knew who they were. I think he's kind of got side eye, like as is the habit of some. I love it. Anyway, that's not the point. But uh, the point here is not neglecting to meet together not neglecting to meet together. He's saying that this is something that should be a priority in our lives. Gathering with the church to worship God, not neglecting that. That's an exhortation that we have from the word. So first of all, we see that it's biblical, but also from this text, we see that it's necessary. We see that we need corporate worship. In verse 24, we see that corporate worship is what God uses as we stir one another up to love and to good works. He says that in corporate worship, we encourage one another. I'm sure many of you could share testimonies of a time when, man, it was something that we sung in one of the songs. It was something that you heard in the sermon and it challenged you. It convicted you of sin in your life. It motivated you to serve the Lord in some way. God uses corporate worship to make us more like Jesus. So it's biblical, it's necessary, and I like this one, it's eternal. It's eternal. We saw in the video that evangelism won't happen in heaven because there won't be any lost people, but worship will happen in heaven. We will worship God together as the church forever, so we might as well think about what we're doing now as band practice, as rehearsal. Guys, we're gonna do this forever and ever and ever, and it's gonna be awesome. So we might as well get started now. So what do we do in corporate worship at Coastal and why do we do it? Well, first and foremost, we want to do everything in corporate worship because God has told us what to do in his word. We don't make this stuff up. We don't sing because we just like it and we don't do preaching just because it's a fun thing to do. We do these things because it's what God has told us to do in his word. God gets to decide how God gets to be worshiped. And so let me go through a few things here about why we do what we do in corporate worship. First of all, we sing praises. We declare truths about God to God. It says in Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. We sing praises to God because it prepares our hearts to hear from his word. We express ourselves to God. What a beautiful thing it is to sing praises with God's people. We preach the word. We come here week in and week out to hear from God through his word. If we really believe that this book is what it claims to be, that it's the word of God, that it's completely true, and that it has all authority in our lives, then man, I don't want to give up here and give you my opinions. You don't need that. I don't want to give up, get up here and give political commentary or stand-up comedy. What we need is the word. We want to preach the word here at Coastal week in and week out. What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? We want to preach to edify the church, to build up the church, but also to evangelize the lost. I make it a goal of mine to preach the gospel every single Sunday, because I want you to know that if you bring an unsaved friend to church, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear the good news that Christ died for us and was raised for us and that we can have new life in him. At Coastal, we want to be what I would call welcoming without watering. Welcoming without watering. What do I mean by that? We want to be a welcoming church. I want anyone who walks through that door to feel welcomed and loved and that we are thrilled that they're here. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what their background is. I don't care what they've done. I want anyone who walks through that door to feel welcome. But at the same time, we're never going to water down the message. We're never going to water down this book, even the offensive parts of this book. I like to put it this way. The gospel is offensive inherently, but we don't have to be. 
Uh, We shouldn't add to it with our behavior. I want to be a welcoming church that never waters down the message of the gospel or the message of the word. We give generously in corporate worship. What do I say every single week at offering time? We are going to continue with our worship through giving. It is an act of worship to give to the Lord. We fellowship with one another. We pray, man, we could keep going on and on, but I'm running out of time. This is the main point. This is the bottom line. It is essential for the good of our souls that we connect to God in corporate worship. So let me challenge you guys to make this a priority in your life. Make it a priority in your family to faithfully, regularly be a part of corporate worship on Sunday mornings. And maybe you're here and you're not a member of Coastal. Maybe you're just checking us out or you're new and you want to get more information about how you can go all in at Coastal. Let me invite you to our We Are Coastal class. It's coming up on Saturday, September 17th, about three weeks away. It's long. It's 5 to 8.30, but dinner and childcare are provided. So think of it as a date night. Uh, We'd love for you to come. At this class, you'll learn what we believe. You'll learn how we function. You'll learn how you can become a part of Coastal. Uh, This is the on-ramp to membership here at Coastal. It is the first and longest step toward becoming a member of Coastal. So if you're interested in coming, you can write that on your Connect card. You can register online, gocoastal.org slash member. I'd love to see you at We Are Coastal. So first we connect, but next we grow. We grow in community through small groups. And while we certainly encourage personal growth, you know, reading the word, praying, doing all those things on your own, we want to emphasize that growth happens in community. We live in an individualistic culture that tends to privatize faith But the Bible is clear that we're not intended to live this Christian life alone. And we need brothers and sisters to come alongside of us. That's where small groups come in. So what do small groups look like at Coastal? Let me give you a few things. If you show up to a small group at Coastal, what can you expect? First and foremost, we study the word together. We study the word together. We prepare small group questions that are based on the sermon and the leader will lead the group through these questions. And the purpose of that is to unpack what was taught in the message, to unpack what's taught in the word and how it applies to our lives. We study the word together. Next, we pray together and we pray for one another. In my small group, we take up prayer requests at the end of every meeting, and then we pray for each other throughout the week. If you come to a coastal small group, you'll know that there are always people praying for you. We confess our sins and struggles. Small group is a safe place to be broken. It is a safe place to come in and to confess your sin, to confess your temptations, to confess your struggles. You know, it said in James chapter five, we studied it a couple of weeks ago, right? Uh, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Small groups are the best place for that to happen. Small groups are where we build deep friendships. I'm sure many of you who have been in coastal small groups for a while could attest to this. Some of my best friends in this church I met through my small group. You build deep and lasting friendships. That's really hard to do that on a Sunday morning when you only see someone for five minutes in between services or whatever. Small groups are a place where those friendships can be built. In our small groups, we support one another. When we go through hard times, we have people that we're close with who can help us, who can come alongside of us in whatever form that might take. And I'm not going to name their names because they'd probably be embarrassed, but there's a couple in my small group who many years ago, uh, we were having small group and I used to lead the group and my car was vandalized outside of the small group. The back window was bashed in and there's a couple, a family who had only been coming to Coastal for a short amount of time at this point. But then... um, they asked about it and they ended up showing up on my door that week with a bunch of cash saying, we want to pay for your window. 
that made such an impression on me and my wife. That meant so much in our lives. But that's the point of small groups, that there are people there when you're going through a hard time, whatever it might be, who can come alongside you and love you and pray for you and encourage you. Small groups are the best place for pastoral care to take place. You know, a couple of months ago, we had a church member who had to go to the hospital. And I went there as soon as I heard to go and visit this person. And I was really happy that their small group leader beat me there. By the time I got there as their pastor to see them, their small group leader was already there. Pastoral care happens best in those sort of communities where we know each other, where we're praying for each other. Listen, guys, we believe so strongly in small groups and we believe that for the good of your soul, please find a small group that get involved in this fall. So how does it work at Coastal? Some of our groups meet year round, but most of our groups meet seasonally. That is during the six to eight week small group season that's every spring and every fall. I would ask you guys, our small group season kicks off in two weeks, starting on Sunday, September 11th. I would encourage you guys to find a small group and get plugged in. You can go to gocoastal.org slash small groups, or you can grab one of the grow booklets at one of the welcome desks on your way out. Find a group that works for your schedule and just watch how God uses that in your life this fall. We connect, we grow. Last but not least, we serve. We serve. This means we serve in a ministry and in a mission. We serve both the church and the broader community. We are not merely to come to church. We are to go out and to be the church. The reality is that God has given each one of us a unique personality, unique talents, unique abilities, and spiritual gifts, and he wants us to use them for his glory. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift. He has equipped you as a believer and he wants you to use that gift for the common good. That is to build up the church, to edify the church. We live in a consumeristic church culture in America where the idea is we find a church that we like the most, we come, we are filled, and then we go home. Guys, I don't think that's biblical. What's more biblical is we come to corporate worship, we are filled so that we can overflow in service to other people, so that we can use the spiritual gifts that God has given us to love and to serve and to edify and to build up the entire church. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, let me tell you, you have a spiritual gift and I want you to use that to bless this church body. I mean, let's just consider for a minute. And some of you might be thinking, well, that sounds great, Nate, but maybe you guys have it all taken care of. Do you really need me? Is there really anywhere for me to serve? Well, let me respond by letting you know, this is what it takes just to put on one Sunday morning at Coastal. We need preaching, okay? We need musicians and vocalists. We need sound techs. We need media techs. We need the first impressions team, you know, coffee, parking, ushers, greeters, security, count team. We need children's ministry workers, check-in, helpers, teachers. We need prayer team members. We need financial gifts. I could keep going. Guys, it takes hundreds of volunteers working countless hours across our campuses to put on one Sunday morning. And that's just Sunday morning. What about during the week, men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry, small groups, and that's just coastal. What about the community? What about the nations? Food mission, ESOL, CareNet, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Bolivia, Poland, Thailand, I could keep going. Listen, you will never be able to say, I wanted to serve at coastal, but they didn't have enough for me to do. 
you will never be able to say that. Trust me, we've got plenty. We can keep you busy. There is so much going on at Coastal, guys. This is a thriving, active church, and we need you. We need you. One of our great passions at Coastal is to help you discover how God has wired you and then help you find the right fit for how you can serve. So maybe you're saying now, all right, Pastor Nate, you convinced me. Uh, I want to serve, but I don't really know how. I don't really know where to start. Well, let me give you a good tool that you can use. So you guys, I'm giving you permission. You can pull out your phone. Promise I'm not texting here. Uh, you can pull out your phone if you'd like. Uh, gocoastal.org slash serve. You can go to your web browser and you can type that in, gocoastal.org slash serve. Because here's the deal. There's something of a tension in a growing church where sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor Nate, where do you need me the most? Where can I be the most effective? I'm open to serve, but really I just want to go where I'm most needed. Well, the first answer I always give is children's ministry. Uh, but the second answer that I can now give is this gocoastal.org slash serve. Now, if you go to the top of that page, we're going to have something called featured serve opportunities, and that will change regularly depending on the needs of the campus. So if you scroll down on that page, you can see a link to all of the opportunities on your campus. You can check Gloucester campus and it'll give you opportunities, including the ones that are the greatest need. And when you click on see details, you'll have an opportunity to sign up. And all of that will also be in the coastal app. Why do I bring all of that up? To let you know that it is easier than ever to find a ministry at Coastal. We are trying to make it as easy as possible, where within 15 seconds on your phone, you can see what the greatest needs are in this church and how you can serve. Guys, there are a million opportunities for you to serve at Coastal. We don't want you just to come to church. We want you to be a part of the church. So how are you serving? Well, as we're wrapping up this morning, I'm gonna invite the prayer team to come forward. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. And I wanna kind of recap where we've been and give one closing exhortation. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter five unpacked for us that it is our mission to persuade others of the gospel. We are motivated in this mission by the fear of the Lord, knowing that we'll give an account for our lives, by the love of Christ, knowing how loved we are by Jesus. And we know what our message is. What are we trying to persuade others of? of the gospel, that Jesus died and was raised from the dead three days later so that we can have new life in him, so that we can die to our old self and we can be raised to walk in newness of life because of Christ. And so at Coastal, we believe so strongly in that gospel. And so the way that we are proclaiming that and the way that we are growing as followers of Jesus is we connect we grow and we serve. And so I wanna address two different groups of people this morning. First of all, if you are doing that, if you are a member of Coastal and you are actively connecting, growing and serving, let me say this as the lead pastor of this campus from the bottom of my heart, thank you, thank you. I believe that our active members here at Coastal are the foundation of Coastal. They're the beating heart of Coastal, not me, not Pastor Sean, our members who are actively connecting and growing and serving. We can't do any of this without you. Thank you and please keep up the good work. We love you. And maybe you're here and you're not a member. Maybe you're here and you're just checking us out. Listen, I know I'm biased. Let's get that out of the way. I know I'm biased, but I think this is an awesome church. I think this is a healthy, growing, active, thriving church that takes the gospel seriously, that takes the word seriously, and takes the great commission seriously. Won't you come be a part of us? Especially here in Gloucester. Listen, I, 
I believe that God wants to use this campus in the years and in the decades to come to make a massive impact in Gloucester County for the gospel. I believe that with all my heart. I would love for you to be a part of that. Please come to We Are Coastal. Be a part of corporate worship. Join a small group. Find a place to serve. We want to help you do all of that. We'd love for you to come and be a part of our family here at Coastal. Guys, let's close in prayer. Thank you for being here this morning. Lord, we love you. Lord, every time I think about the gospel, I'm just amazed that Jesus has died and was raised that we might have new life. Father, would you give us a passion that others might know you, a passion to persuade others of this good news, Lord. It's too good to keep to ourselves. Father, I pray that you would use us for your glory. Father, I pray that you would help us to remember what it means to be your ambassadors in the world. So Father, as we go from this place, help us not only to come to church, but to go out and be the church. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.